The Mounties, you know who else always gets his man? Hmm. You. <laughs> what? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Nah. Um, I, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I got a haircut. Yeah, you got an illegal I got, haircut. I got an illegal haircut. Did you work with I, someone uh, in the mob? You know, I got connections. Oh, you boy, know? here we go. I, I, uh, you know, I know a couple of people here or there. You know, I know a couple of couple of guys who use the blade, <laughs> and uh, you know, I during asked Corona them, they what, were studying the blade. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I, no, I mean, I mean that literally. This guy learned how to do haircuts two weeks ago. No, oh, perfect. Um, online courses, of course. And uh, he gives him this gives him this sharp haircut. You know, what I'm thinking, I'm like, I should have had him shave me. Yeah, remember when we did that in L.A. Oh, yeah, I got that. Uh, yeah, well, that guy did it for free. I don't know if this guy would have. But, yeah, my friend shaved me for free in L.A. That was great. Yeah, you look nice. I, that was, I should, I gotta, I gotta, I, I, I don't like the thought, though, of a, of a guy with such a sharp blade so close to my uh, throat mm. due to the uh, feelings that I some, sometimes elicit in certain gentlemen. And also, you never um, know who's out there and who's a double agent. It, Exactly. And you never know. I could be out there, you know, relaxed in the barber chair. Someone comes in, two in the dome. I'm keeled over. No more podcast. Well, we'd still keep going. Uh, no, you wouldn't. I have a dead man switch. So, I get all you fucking assholes all the fucking time emailing me, calling me, doing WhatsApp messages to me, sometimes sending me obscene letters, being like, why don't you talk about Canada more? And let me be clear. I think of Canada, North America, Mexico as basically the same country. Yeah, you're a NAFTA man. NAFTA. I'm a NAFTA man through and through. (laughs) And so, yes, we have not done a Canada episode before. But we also haven't done like a Wyoming episode before, you know? So it's like, it's, you know, we haven't done a, we haven't done a Chihuahuan episode before. Well, I was going to say, because we are talking about Canada today, I think you should lay off the swear words. Oh, yeah. Uh, my bad. Uh, let me think of some Canadian, uh, you know, these cropulent fuck waffles <laughs> that have been, uh, been, been emailing me. Have been have been really getting on me old nervy wervies. That's a that's Canadian Cockney right there. All right, all right, all right. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to True Anon. I'm Liz. Uh-huh. Uh, my name is Brace. <laughs> Just keep interrupting and each other. We're uh, inter- we're joined by Young Chopsky. Interrupting you? You no, you're interrupting him this time. You're not interrupting me. You're interrupting him, and so that's double rude. I'm sorry. Sorry oh, about that. Apology accepted. Well, we're off to a good start. This is great. We, I will say, because we we rec- were recording this after we did the we did the uh, did the episode. Not we basically did no Canada jokes. We didn't. You know why? Great respect. Great respect. Wonderful. Well, decent nation. Never been there. I've uh, you I know, was banned for three years. We're banned. Literally was banned from going back to Canada. That's for three years. not surprising. How yeah. do you even get banned from Canada? A long story, but uh, I did. Uh, uh, should I say this? I will say this. I jerked off in the Border Patrol booth. 
That's not and then true. This is I not. swear to God, ask Max. Ask Max. I will text Max <laughs> right now because I forgot to text him back earlier. Because the thing is, it's Dude. notable is because we were there for so long. Everybody Dude, did. How a party long? Of eight. Uh, like something like six or seven hours. Dude, what? You can't wait? Wait and do what? Dude, they had all of our shit. I didn't have a... I, phones weren't good back then, and we couldn't use them anyways because of roaming. I, I jerked off. Oh, my God. I hate this story so much. I hate knowing well, this. it could end if you stop doubting me. I will never stop doubting you. You could just be like, that's true, and I accept it, and it's valid. And I'd be like, thanks, moving on. You know what? I accept that that story is true. It's absolutely not valid. Do not do this. Do not do this. Do not do, do not do this to me. Do not do this to me. Do not do experiential erasure to me on this fucking podcast right now. Liz. All right, let's get let's uh mount up and hop to it. Eh? Mm-hmm. Let's go get our man. Is that true, Brace? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one of us jerked off. Not the first time I've done the skidding, the the revving car and skidding intro, but this time, many of you will notice by my vocal intonations, it was two wheels instead of four. (laughs) Welcome (laughs) to a very special, I think our inaugural uh, episode of of, uh, Northern Lights edition of Truanon, we have with us here, straight from the fishing boats and... uh, uh, and smuggling boats. I'm not really sure what other kind of boats there are there. Of Nova Scotia, we have Andrew Neville from the Dog Island Podcast. Andrew, how you doing? I'm good. There's like leisure boats too for just like chilling and like jumping off of and stuff, I guess. Oh, yeah. that sounds nice. Yeah. Uh, just a word. I'm, I'm doing well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a, a word real quick. We will be doing this podcast in both English and French. So mm, it's, that's yes. the reason it's three hours long. Mm-hmm. Um. Certain regulations in Canada do compel us to that, and we don't want to stir up any separatists. I, yeah, I am a famous uh, supporter of the Quebecois separatist movement. So the, the only French I really them. know is like how to ask if it's like okay if I go to the bathroom. I think that's like the <laughs> or like air or like airline French. Like I know, yeah, like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you this: once when I was in Quebec, uh, a, I saw beer come out on a conveyor belt. Oh fuck yeah! I thought that was very. I was like, damn, that's. That's crazy. You guys do it there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we we have brought you here today because a a couple of articles have recently come out, uh, which have ignited a lot of talk about uh, what what is the worst mass shooting in Canadian history that occurred not very long ago. A lot of you guys might have maybe vaguely heard about it, but it really wasn't followed up much uh, much on in the news here in America, and apparently not too much in Canada either. Um, but yeah, let's, let's just dive right into it. So what happened back in April, Andrew? Wow. Okay. So the, uh, this was two months ago. So this was between April 18th and 19th. Um, and it's important to know that it's over two days because, uh, is uh, about 18 hours of, of this man, uh, Gabriel Wartman, uh, sort of driving through. Uh, Colchester County, which is on the, the northern side of the province, um, starting in the town of Porta Peak, uh, where he lived, uh, which is a town about a, about a hundred people tops. Um, 
and beginning apparently if the timeline is to be believed uh, at a party that night after a fight with his girlfriend he attacked her uh shot her she got away uh and then he spent the next sort of 18 hours just driving through the the countryside uh just killing people and burning down homes yeah i i thought it was really astounding that like from from what i gather and it's hard to get like a sort of a straight reporting of the events but he hand he at one point handcuffs his girlfriend she somehow escapes and he shoots her or i'm not really sure the order of those events but she spends the entire night hiding out in the woods and in fact police sort of assumed she was dead because they couldn't find her yeah and i think that one of the initial like the initial 911 call, there was a shooter. I don't know if it was her that made it or like there was, it stemmed from this party. Like that was the first, the first call to the police that something had happened. Yeah. Um, and then I believe it was also like a very slow response. A, a lot of the stuff that happened over the night, like the a sort of repeated motif is that it was a slow response by the, the RCMP to anything that had happened. Like there's one story about these two kids whose parents uh, he killed while they were still in the home, and they apparently were on the phone with 911 dispatch for hours waiting for someone to show up. Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, like the, the indiv- I don't know how, like, I don't want to get too, like, morbid on it, but the individual details of, like, every event over those 18 hours are, like, uh, pretty chilling. Um, it's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, it's really shocking that this, like, didn't get that much coverage for... Like, two things that you pointed out right off the bat. One, the most, like, gruesome uh, mass shooting in Canadian history occurred during the, like, COVID lockdown, which is even... I mean, this is, like, after the pandemic has hit, so that's even weirder. And um, that it lasted about 18 hours, which I think for Americans... I mean, like, I don't know, at least for me, it's, like, hard for me to even wrap my head around how this was able to continue for 18 hours, right? And you yeah. mentioned the, like, slow response, but it seemed like it's, all the details of this story just are going to get weirder and weirder, so I just kind of want to prep people for listening if they aren't familiar with this case. It only gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of like a... It, it's bad for your brain i think to think about it maybe but. <laughs> absolutely i mean i found the details so uh, so right after right after he shoots his girlfriend she runs off he sort of goes from house to house in his little town porta peak shooting people and then setting people's houses on fire i think he also set his own house on fire too uh and when the police get there uh in sort of reports made afterwards they found just like bodies in the street and houses yeah. on fire yeah, the, the stories from the RCMP that night are like, they showed up and it was like a war zone. Yeah. Like it was just buildings burning and uh, bodies everywhere. And then like, so so he starts driving around. And from what I gather, he is dressed as a police officer and yeah. driving a car that is a decommissioned police car or a car that's the same. You know, how like you can buy. It's a replica. Replica yeah. police car. With the actual decals, and I've seen pictures of the car. It is realistic, actual mm. decals of a of a real police cruiser around. And so he's driving around, and and for quite a long time too. That's what's like so astounding. Yeah, he like swaps cars at several points throughout the night. Um, like it's <laughs> it's a really because he had more than one of these fake police cars. Yeah, 
Um, Which, okay, wait, I want to stop on that for a second. This is another uh, insane detail. Okay, so not only does this, just to like back up for a second. So this guy, so it's like a 10.30, about 10, 10.30 p.m. that he like starts this like rampage where he shoots like seven people, burns all these houses, and it's wearing a fake cop uniform and owns not one, but two replica cop cars. Correct. That he then uses to drive through Porto Peak, uh, shooting up random, what it looks like random bystanders through the night. Yeah, there's a story that uh, a friend of mine's father, I know a bunch of people that live in the area, but like a friend of mine's father said uh, a friend of his got a knock on the door in the middle of the night and he thought it was the police and he looked at the window, it was like clearly this guy who he knew he knew who he was and was just like, I'm not answering the door. What the fuck does he want? I'm going back to bed. Yeah. Um, That's uh, incredible. Which is uh, really, yeah, just like so horrific to think of. Um, I mean, and to be clear, like this guy killed whole families. I think 13 in total in Porta Peak. He killed people and their kids. He killed dogs. That's been mentioned a few times. And he yeah. burned and burned and burned, which is, I will say, like, you know, we get a lot of mass shootings in the States, of course, but, like, usually they're, like, one location, or, like, sometimes they'll go to, like, a couple other places, but rarely is it this sort of, like, sprawl of of mayhem and destruction. Yeah, he just didn't, like, didn't stop. Yeah. Um, and by all accounts, like, was prepared to keep going. Yeah. Um, Like, the whole ordeal ends the next morning, uh, near Enfield, which is a, a small town, uh, quite far from where he started. <laughs> um, and it's just by chance that two cops are getting gas there while he pulls in to get gas. Oh my God. Um, and they spot him and shoot him. Um, and that's why it stops. Um, so it's just by accident, basically. It's, it's like total, yeah, just like dumb luck. And, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think he shoots two and kills one, uh, other well, I guess he's not technically actually a Mountie, although maybe that's not so. We'll get true, into that. But, yeah. um, so, but at, at one point, he 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 shoots a couple of of Mounties that are going around who are, who have been looking for him, who I think were fooled by his car's appearance at first. Yeah. So the the one Mountie that he does uh, he does kill is a Hi- Heidi Stevens, I think was her name, um, and he. Uh, she spots him on the highway and tries to run him off the road. Mm -hmm. Uh, She tries to ram the car, but he had the, like, uh, the front of his car had the, like, cattle catcher. Yeah, yeah, like the uh, grill that, like, cop cars have. Yes, Um, so he overtook her, uh, hit her off the road, and then the, the detail, allegedly, is that he just walked up to her, took her gun, out of her holster while she was like sort of stunned in the driver's seat and then shot her and then took her gun and just kept going. That's like, that's what I'm Jesus. saying about this massacre is that like the details of this are some of the most like gruesome that I've seen yet, just because he interacted with so many different people in so many different ways. But like a, a couple other things happened. I know at one point the police opened fire on like a fire hall that people had taken refuge in. Yeah. So that's like, uh, that's another unbelievable part of the story is, yeah, there was this fire hall that they were using to shelter people once the police actually told people this was going on. Because uh, a big part of it is no one knew this was going on for quite some time. Yeah. Because uh, we have an emergency alert system here that they just 
decided not to use. Yeah. Classic. Um, yeah, which despite the fact that they use it for other things all the time. Like, uh, yeah, like it's it like yeah, an Amber so, Alert style thing, or is it just like, yeah, like everyone just phone gets a buzz that says, like, uh, there's going to be lightning tonight, be careful, basically. Um, and these two cops both show up at the at this fire, it's a firehouse, um, and just open fire because they think they see him, um, and like riddle the building with holes <gasps> while there's uh, people sheltering in place inside. Jesus, and those people were probably like, wait a minute. This gunman's dressed yeah, like a police is, yeah, officer. Yeah, I know. It's like... It's, yeah. It's so, yeah, just impossible to imagine being in. Like, terrifying. And can you describe yeah. to me, like, a little bit about, like, where is Porta Peak? Or, like, talk about... Because, I don't. I mean, I, I've been to Canada, you know? And I don't have a great <laughs> understanding of what's going on here with Nova Scotia. So, like, explain to me. Yeah, and we'll get uh, into this more later, but, like... What's a, what so, kind of town is Porta Peak? Like, where is that in relation to these other places? Uh, it's like not, I mean, I wouldn't call it even a town. I think it's just sort of like a, like a street, not even a village. Like it's, it's a street basically like or a series of rural roads mm-hmm. um, just outside of Truro. So Truro is the third biggest, uh, third biggest city in Nova Scotia. Uh-huh. Um after Halifax and Sydney, Truro's uh, about an hour outside of where I am uh, here in Halifax. Uh-huh. Um, Porta Peak is just like sort of a basically part of Truro. Like I know lots of people who went to school in Truro and have grew up and new friends in in Porta. So it's like kind of like an unincorporated um, area, basically. Yeah. So it really is like the middle of nowhere. Totally. 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 Yeah. And and how like and he made it pretty far to other places too. Yeah, so he made it to, to Enfield, which is where Enfield where he was caught. Um but my understanding is he sort of drove like north through the province first and then cut back down. So Enfield's maybe uh maybe about twenty minutes from where I am. Okay. So he didn't go he didn't really go like that far in terms of in terms of distance. Uh I mean a lot of this the stories coming out now are that some of these places where he killed people, he just like hung out for a few hours after doing it um there's there's some there's some stuff like that like we'll get into it later but especially the 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 prison guard couple um Mm. the story is that he was at their house for like three hours after he did it um so there's like a it's not a it's not like a geographically massive area he covered um but he just was you know just taking his time yeah, in total. So just to, again, like in total, this starts at like, you know, 10.30 p.m. And he's not shot until about 11.30 a.m. the next day. Yeah. Um, so I woke up. I woke up around noon, I guess, on a Sunday, as you Classic. do. And I had I had gone to bed. <laughs> I had gone to bed quite late the night before and had heard nothing about this. And then, yeah, when, I wake, up at, when I wake up at noon, all of my... You know, the boys in the boys DM are talking about this. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? And they're like, it's the denturist. It's the denturist. The guy with the smile face. Like, it's him. And I had, like, no idea what, like, I just did not know what they were talking yeah. about. So. Yeah. I think, like, um, you know, we mentioned this at the beginning, but the not only, okay, so the 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 press not covering it is very weird. And we, we touched a little bit on... But I think we should get into, if we can, like all of the things that the cops did wrong. 
yeah. which are all also very odd details. You mentioned the alert system that didn't go off. Yeah, now, there was it, like one alert, but it was like not very specific, right? Uh no, so there were there was no alert. The only the only thing that the RCMP did to alert anyone this was going on was tweet about. Oh, it. that's right. It was a tweet. It, oh my the god, the tweet uh, seems super vague too. It's like there was a discharge of firearms yeah. in Porta Peak. Yeah, that was basically there were shots fired. Um, and I mean that's a rural community. It's a place where it's a rural and also it's a community where the population is quite mm-hmm. old. So you're saying um, like, a very extremely online population that would be on Twitter looking for yeah, updates from the Mounties. Definitely, <laughs> definitely all night on Twitter for sure. Uh, yeah. Probably a lot of people who don't know what Twitter is. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. <laughs> would be my guess. Um, and, and that was their, I mean, their excuse for not sending the alert out is they were worried that if people were hiding and their phones started going off, he would find them easier, hmm. uh, which I, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, that? that seems a little. I mean, the thing is too, like there there is at least one victim whose death is basically directly attributable to not getting an alert. Uh, it's a, a woman who I think went for a walk or a jog and, you know, her husband yes. quite rightly says that like if we had received any kind of uh, you know, alert that 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 that, that there was a a raging gunman on the loose killing people both mercilessly and in some cases randomly, probably would have told my to my wife to skip her evening walk. Yeah, um, and I, I just want to clarify too. When when I say that like this hasn't been covered a lot, like it was on the news constantly for like days and days after. But there's like a specific relationship here. I think that like the like the the media and press landscape in Canada is is pretty bleak right now, and uh, like a narrow pool of people. And it was just like sort of the news just regurgitating whatever the RCMP press release was for yeah. that day. Mm. And then and then anyone, especially in the first few weeks, that like really pushed it or questioned what, what had happened was just sort of like told to shut the fuck yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> like by both the RCMP and by like just people at home. That's you know? that's like why I, I said this before we started recording, but like that is it is kind of like Nova Scotia's nine eleven in that regard. Where it's like it's yeah. this like oh, yeah, sacred no, event sure. that like you learn a little bit about, but you can't learn too much about. Yeah. Well, and even now, like people, it seems like people have been really pushing for there to be a civilian review of like exactly how and why the police made the choices that they, the decisions that they did, they made that night and that morning. And they're just completely shutting it down. Right. Yeah. So, I I mean, even when it first happened, like our Justin Trudeau was like, we're not going to say his name on television anymore. Like that was the sort of response to it. Was Classic like, Trudeau. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, God, and, uh, all these guys that went to like the Macron school of politics, man, just yeah. they do that. Um, you can't see the hand motion that Liz is making. That's probably good. Um, but uh, that's that's they, they try to do that here for a second too. I don't know if you guys remember that where they're like, we're not going to say any of the shooters' names when it's like, yeah, you are. Give me a break. It's not yeah. like it's not like I'm getting this tat- name tattooed on me, but come on, it's in the news. Yeah. So the the inquiry stuff. There's been a lot of like the province and the federal government sort of trying to pass the buck mm-hmm. back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. Like the province, uh, most of the calls have been for the province to do an inquiry mm-hmm. into it. Um, but the RCMP is our is a federal policing agency. Um, so they're saying because it, it was 
it was an F, uh, an RCMP like investigation or fuck up that it's the it's the federal government's responsibility to, right, to right, look right. into it. Um, there's also there's also a lot of stuff if we're gonna we're gonna get into it, but like reasons why I don't think a civilian inquiry is gonna really get to the bottom of this because yeah. there's mm. rules in Canada about the RCMP disclosing uh, certain things to. Sure. To oversight bodies where they can only disclose to, to courts if ordered, basically. Mm. Um. Well, let's start getting into that because we started we yeah. started teasing it. Let's talk about who exactly um, Wartman Gabriel Wartman is because this figure he's. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. It's a real. Uh, I don't want to say interesting, but confusing character. Yeah, if we hadn't learned, if you were looking at this guy's life like a year ago without any of what we know now, you'd be like, "This is one of the most boring motherfuckers in Canada." Yeah. Um, uh- you know, it's so. Tell me a little bit about this Joker. Uh, well, Joker's a good way to start. So the thing that yes, <laughs> uh, for for several reasons. So the the first thing, my introduction to Gabriel Wartman as a human being is there's this denture clinic he owns uh, in downtown. Like Dartmouth. for dentures, like for, for teeth? dentures. He's yeah. He's yeah. so he's not a he's not a dentist. He's not a denturist, but he's a he's a denture salesman. Um, oh. and he owns this, he was the owner of this denture clinic in downtown Dartmouth. Oh God, it does sound uh, like Joker. When you, wait, well, just you go wait. to Dartmouth? Uh, so Dartmouth's another town here, but when you drive, okay. when you drive by it, the, the, the reason this place is notable is there's a giant, like 10 foot wide, sm- like lippy Joker style smile. Oh my God. Like a sculpture on the side of the building. Like this horrific on, fucking, man. yeah. Like, <laughs> like zero subtlety. That was a thing like really quickly, like about a week after, like the city just went and ripped it down. They were like, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're going to get rid of this. I saw um, there was a news story yeah. about like people taking down the smile. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, this thing that like I I've been driving by, you know, my like God. my entire life. Um, no joke. They don't want to have like Joker Hodge to the. Yeah, they don't. They, <laughs> to the smile. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah. So he's this. He's this denturist. Um. He operated this business in Dartmouth, but lived in about an hour away from there. Uh. And then uh, there's some stuff I had learned the the last week. Uh, from people who knew him where he allegedly uh, through much of the nineties was a, a cigarette smuggler. Mm. Um, And that's where most of, I guess his money came from was, uh, was running cigarettes. There's this sort of like famous, like uh, cannonball run style thing where it was just like a a cigarette corridor between like Maine and New Brunswick. Wait, Um, how much are cigs there? Oh, they're so expensive. They're like 25 bucks a pack. Oh shit. I mean, how much are they in Maine? uh, Let me, let me, hold on. Let Uh, me see what that $25 Canadian to US. What is it? Like $23? That is, uh, I don't know. I just Googled that. It didn't tell me anything. Uh, That is $18 a pack. Yeah. Cigarettes are very expensive here. Um, So they're sort of actually the, one of the cigarette smuggling is one of the main like organized crime uh, that activities is so wild in in Canada and has been for a while. Um, like in both sort of with biker gangs and then with uh, 
with the Quebec It looks mod. like cigarettes are seven thirty seven plus two dollars in tax in Maine. So that's a that's like a that's a great little there. that's a nice yeah. little margin. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a hmm. that's a, a allegedly where he made his money. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, I'm not going to say what the guy was doing. Um, but then he, yeah, for a, it seems like mostly unremarkable. There's a few other like criminal or or like things that pop up over the last 20 years where he gets in trouble with the law. Um, like in at some point in the 2000s, he beats up a 15 year old kid. Uh, outside of the denture clinic just for mm. loitering, I guess. Um, there's another story from from some point in the last 10 years where he gets in a fight with, with some cops outside of the clinic because uh, they had been parking in his parking lot while he uh, while they go to the, the Tim Hortons next door to get You're coffee. You're fucking me. <laughs> Come uh, on. And, it's just like so every like, time there, I hear a Canada a, story, it involves like the same four things. Yeah, it sucks ass. <laughs> uh, it's a fake country. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, and then there's a few things of that. There's like now coming out, there's a bunch of stories where his neighbors had complained to the RCMP about him just having guns on his property. Mm. Uh, there's a story from a few years ago where his father complains about him Mm -hmm. uh his father made a complaint saying he thought he was going to do something violent um and just like a series of things that you know as standalone things are unremarkable but then when you piece it together when this becomes the the final part of it that he uh murdered 22 people it's like ah yeah of course well yeah i read that apparently he kept lime and muriatic acid on the property and barrels which which is is like there's only one reason and, to do that. Yeah, yeah. And he had talked to like friends before about like how to dispose of bodies. Yeah. And, and you're just by like, the way, okay. for those of you who uh, are not, I mean, all three of us, of course, are veterans of the Sicilian Mafia. Well, all four of us, technically. Although Young Chomsky was killed uh, and then replaced by a, a, a namesake. But uh, that's how you dissolve <laughs> bodies. Like, that's how you get rid of bodies, is, yeah. is using yeah. those chemicals. Um, so there's, there's also a national post story that was up for a while, but I can only find like reference to it and can't find the meat of it anymore where he had written an email to uh, a friend about a month before this all happened saying he was, uh, looking forward to his soon retirement. Oh Uh, my God. So, so this was like, I think clearly a thing he, if not, I don't think it was like, this is the night I'm going to do it, but this was like a. Uh, like, I don't think this is a thing that was not thought out. Oh, yeah, this is, I'm seeing it here in the notes, is that an email sent by Wartman to a potential business associate said he was residing in Porta Peak, enjoying his prelude to retirement, and that he was around in the AMs, 5 to 12, studying the news on YouTube. And U is just the the letter U itself. Nice. Um, Nice. So he is, uh, from from what I gather in that, he is around from 5 to 12 a.m., watching YouTube for seven hours. <laughs> Which is like normal 51-year-old guy stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that seems like it's not dark. It's dark. Um, I shouldn't laugh at this. Um, yeah, but, but it's, but, I mean, Jesus Christ. It's so weird. It's so weird. And it's only about to get weirder. So yeah. not only, so, so he's got like, okay, he's got acid for dissolving bodies on his property. He's got a shit ton of guns. Shit ton Tons of firearms. Of like tons well, and ca- what are like Canadian gun laws exactly? Um, 
Brace, you actually probably know this better than me. You were sort of talking about the other day. Um, but I, it's pretty hard to get a gun here. Yeah, yeah that's what I um, thought. Like the guns he owned were all illegal. Um, mm, okay. And it's like a pretty, you do have to do like a pretty thorough background check here. You have to take a test. Uh-huh. Um, mm. there, there's a, like anyone I know that owns a handgun, it was a pretty complicated process to get it. Um, and there were even like, the, we've been back and forth the last like probably 10 years on like even establishing a long gun registry, mm. um, which a lot of, I guess like people that hunt yeah, sure. really, about. really fought against, but that's sort of the state of it here. Um, and it's like, it's not easy to get a gun. Here. Yeah. From what I gather, a lot of the guns, I don't know a ton about it, but for some reason, Norinco, which is like a kind of shoddy Chinese gun company, um, sells a lot of guns, some of which are like, there's a lot of workarounds that they do basically of American guns that's just for sale in the Canadian market. Just to reiterate, because we're trying to paint this picture. So you've got this like creepy joker-fied denture magnet salesman. Yeah. Who has um, like acid on his property for dissolving bodies. He's got a shit ton of guns. He's got not one, but two fake cop cars, which he had told people he wanted to make, like he wanted cars that looked like fake cop cars. He's got a fake Mountie uniform or like, or not a fake one, but a real one that's maybe a little ill-fitting. He's got like other... You know, like the vest that you put on to let people know that you're a policeman, the like reflective vest in this car. And he's got, um, you know, a, a neighbor <laughs> who is also possibly a little bit mobbed up. A little bit. Uh, I don't even think it's possible. It's like he's been convicted. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. He faced so many charges. Uh, this is what's so wild to me that this guy's not in prison. Is is the last news story I can find about it? He's been arrested uh, a couple of times, at least. This is a neighbor. His actual like next door neighbor. He is the last. The yeah. last thing out for him was thirteen warrants, like just a couple of years ago. And this guy's not. Tell me about. Yeah. Tell me about and. Let our so, listeners know uh, his name as well. <laughs> I his mean, come is, on. Uh, his name is uh, Peter Griffin. <laughs> uh, like the family Correct. guy. And man. he's in. He, and he's in Canada's Nova. Or excuse me, Canada's Maine too. It is our. It is. Yeah, we are in. We are in New England North. It's sure. like the simulation is starting to yeah, like the, show the, the edges. Mm-hmm. The cracks you know, are well, showing. The fucked up thing uh, too yeah, is Jesus that Christ. is that a lot of people don't know this, but he actually stole his uniform from a policeman in a wheelchair. Um. <laughs> um. And he had a yeah. I don't want to make it a family. I'm That's not, not doing family it. Guy yeah. Joke. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. You can do it. I, I'm a girl, I so I don't bad. know. I haven't seen Family Guy a lot. Is. Is a pedophile. But, I think no. the show's about him. <laughs> <laughs> um. So Peter Griffin is a man. Uh. Yeah. Who was his neighbor? Uh. Is the man who printed the decals for the fake cop car at the print shop he worked mm-hmm. at. Um. I tried to figure out exactly what print shop he worked at. Um, and it was pretty hard, but there's only like two or three of them. Well, he's no longer Um, working there. I couldn't figure out the name. He's no longer working there. He apparently got fired. So he like off the books printed out just like all of the shit that, which is, I gotta say, I've seen, there's a lot of decals in that fucking cop car. And so like, he did this dude. Uh, He got a good deal. (laughs) Yeah. Printing is expensive. Um, so, so this guy, Peter Griffin was, uh, was a member of the La Familia uh, Mexican Drug Cartel. Can you repeat that? Can you repeat okay. that sentence again? <laughs> <laughs> so this like real white 
real, real normal looking, like boring white dude living in like buttfuck nowhere, Truro, Nova Scotia, was a member of the La Familia uh, Mexican drug cartel. That is. So when I read that, I was like, what the fuck? And then I started looking into La yeah. Familia, uh, its activities in Canada's, Canada more. And I didn't go super in-depth, but I found some other arrests of, of, of members of the cartel related to Peter Griffin, that like part of the whatever cell he was in. The names of those yeah. are La, Fam- uh, La Familia members Cody Sterling Tribbett. And Penny Sue <laughs> Fleming, who got arrested, uh, I think the year before Hell Peter yeah. Griffin did in 2015, they had $600,000 worth of drugs, two assault rifles, and $45,000 in cash proceeds of crime. Latina exactly. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so this guy was just in the cartel, I guess. Um, he was convicted in 2017. Uh, he was sentenced to seven years. Um, Apparently he did not serve seven years. <laughs> yeah, just it, appear, it appears uh, not. I mean, and he he must uh, not have served much at all because if he had time to befriend, uh, you know, our 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 man Wartman here and print these decals, get a job, etc. I mean, he must have been out for kind of a while. Yeah, like he couldn't have served more than a year. Totally, tops. totally. If he served any is, time. is my is my read. If that. Um, uh. So yeah. So he's there. Uh. He is hanging out with mm. Wartman. They're like drinking buddies, apparently. Um, and, and yeah, I don't, I, it's like so hard to know like what the relationship past yeah. that is. Um, but I, I think like knowing that allegedly Wartman was also a, into, into like some level of organized crime vis-a-vis mm-hmm. smuggling, um, that it seems unlikely that they weren't discussing, uh, you know, their, yes. their trade. Yeah. Yeah. Like how come uh, you live in mm-hmm. Porto Peak, Mr. Griff, instead of yeah. anywhere else in Canada? Um, well, and so, Griffin has another re- is has there's another relationship, no, with Griffin and one of the victims. Yeah, so this is the part where when this came out last week, so this is all all this sort of new stuff about about Griffin, and uh, it comes from this McLean's these series of McLean's articles that came out last week by Paul Palango, Stephen Mayer, and mm-hmm. Shannon Gormley. Uh, the first one, I, I believe, was was like Wednesday of last week, and then the next one was was. Saturday morning, maybe. Um, and they, what they had done is they had, they had done the, you know, the smart journalist thing where they followed yeah. the money. Um, and they, they were back in March, uh, Wartman from a, from a Brinks facility took out $475,000 in hundred dollar bills. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that I, was uh, constantly <laughs> I'm doing that. That was the thing where they were like, wait, why is no one following up on this? Um, which is sort of where, you start running into this stuff with Griffin, um, and, and it, it's, uh, yeah, it seems well, like we can get to the money more. In yeah, a second. we'll get to the money more in a second. Yeah, um, but the so, so the uh, the other connection from this article with Griffin is that two of the victims uh, in the in the shooting are his cousins, uh, his cousin and his cousin's <laughs> wife, uh, S- Stephen McLeod, I believe is his name, Sean McLeod, Sean Sean McLeod, Sean McLean. Um, and Sean McLean, I don't know how to pronounce it. McLeod. Um, and so he and his wife are also both, uh, prison guards in Truro. Um, yeah, let me, let me read from Sean's obituary real quick. Um, which was, I, I mean, just in the context of this shooting, I just found weird. 
So Sean's lifelong career choice led him to the Holland College where he took the policing and corrections course. He had also taken the emergency response team basic training and negotiator training and became a skilled crisis negotiator for a number of years. In March 1997, Sean completed the correctional training program, which was just the start of his 23-year career as a correctional officer at Spring Spring Hill Institution. During his time there, he had worked in various capacities, including correctional officer one and two, acting assistant warden of operations, coordinator of correctional operations, and recently correctional manager. As a past founder of the Union of Canadian Correctional Officers, he was Spring Hill's first local president and said to always have the health and safety of all members in mind. Oh, a leftist. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But also just like astounding. Like this guy was not just like a prison guard, but this guy was like the head of the local prison guard union. He apparently served a wide variety of like mid-level to mid-upper level positions at Spring Hill. I mean, this is just wild. And his partner Alana Jenkins was also a prison guard at the at the nearby women's uh, prison. Um, so so two prison guards, and they like were the the fact that they were both killed that night and that their house was burned down is uh, seems like impossible to have been coincidence. I guess, mm, yeah, um, absolutely. Because he had they didn't live in Porta Peak. He had to go out and find them. Yeah, he had to go to their house. Um, and especially that they like the fact that they were this cartel guy's cousin uh, is crazy. It's just fucking crazy. Every part of it's crazy. Yeah, and like I don't want to like cast aspersions on these people at all. That's not no. That's not I don't. I don't want to. Wanna, I don't want to insinuate that they were involved in organized crime. Uh, I don't want to like disrespect the dead in any way. But yeah, um, but like that's not like that's something that happens. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that is, just I, I'm not saying not saying that they they are, but like I'm no. saying that in the past, you know, similar things have happened. Well, without the mass shooting part, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I found a that certain incredible. type of thing you sometimes end up getting involved in when you do a certain type of job. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And so La Familia, uh, what, like, I mean, there's a lot of weirdness about a member of La Familia named Peter Griffin living in a small hundred person town, which by all, you know, by all appearances seems pretty quiet mm. in Nova Scotia. But, yeah. well, I was so about there's to a, say, there is another man here that, who did a murder in 2011 uh, named Stephen Douglas Skinner who uh, lived in, in Dartmouth, where I grew up, um, who did this murder and then fled the country and then was arrested by the Venezuelan police in 2016 mm-hmm. and, uh, and extradited. Extra, yeah, mm-hmm. good job. Uh, extradited back to Canada, where uh, the, and the Venezuelan police uh, have suggested that he was a member of a Colombian drug cartel. Mm. Um, Wait, and this guy's just from like yeah, well, no, he's from like the city. another small like, town. A bunch of people I know went to high school with him. Uh, like people I know yeah. know him. Uh, oh no, shit! And uh, and like he was, uh, <laughs> oh, I gotta be careful. But he was like notoriously kind of this like white supremacist Nazi guy in Dartmouth, uh, who was who was also a drug dealer uh, when huh. 
when I was a teen. Like people knew Whoa. who he was. You hear that, people? If you want to, if you're like, fuck, how do I make people not racist and like hang out with yeah. and hang out with people from other races? Get not, them he, into He became, he diversified drugs. his personal life. He, uh, you know, he checked a lot of boxes and he did, but he learned to do better. Yeah. How, exactly. How many white supremacists do you guys know that would go to Venezuela? So yeah, so this guy exactly. Skinner is also a, he also allegedly uh, was involved in, in sort of, you know, big, big drug drug trafficking through Central and uh, South America. Okay. And so, I mean, Nova Scotia yes. is coastal, right? Like, it's there's a lot of coastline there. And is that, like, is that... So, the, kind of this picture I'm putting together here is, if you want to bring things into Canada, a good way to do it is to just zip them across, uh, across yeah, up from so, Maine. So, we're... Uh, so, we have two fairly sizable ports in Nova Scotia. Um like Halifax where I live is a is a massive port. Um and then Digby, which is about four hours away from me, is another is a fairly big port, uh especially relative to the size of the town. I find that uh, a yeah, charming it's a cute, name it's for cute. a town. And then also Saint Saint John, New Brunswick, yeah. uh, which is about uh mm. five hours away from me, is also a massive port. And that was like St. John historically and uh, again word on the street is that that is where uh, mm. the majority of, of sort of contraband actually end up coming in through is St. John. Like St. John is like quite gotcha. close to Maine. Um, like it's like, it's like literally yeah, on the yeah, other side yeah. of the river. Uh, like there's a, mm. there's a border at Fort Kent, uh, a border crossing at Fort Kent, Maine that like is just right by St. John. Yeah. Um, so you just have lots of drug cartels basically running, like motorboats of drugs yes. into like not even ports. Like they just bypass the ports, like just right up on the coast. Which is weird. Cause you can't get good drugs here. Like it's a, it's a very strange, <laughs> like, uh, you yeah. know, uh, it's like, it's like Australia or something. It's like, you always hear about like drug busts and then you like, you yeah. look at the prices there. I'll tell you guys about it after, but they are a, a tremendous. Um, so that's a thing that was going yeah. on. And I mean, Halifax was also, uh, sort of th up until, uh, the about into 2001 to 2003, um, was a pretty big biker town. Uh, mm. like, like the Hells Angels mm. had a, a pretty assertive presence here. Um, yeah, we should pause and talk about the Hells Angels for a minute because yeah. that's also kind of a group that looms large over the story. And I think, like, uh, you know, they've kind of fallen out of the popular American imaginary, but they're still very present in Canada, correct? Yeah, so they were they were actually gone from Nova Scotia for quite a while. Um mm. Yeah, I read that they were made illegal in 99. Yeah, they were made illegal and then a sort of series of busts uh starting in 2001 uh made it so that the the clubhouses in Nova Scotia could no longer make quorum. Uh and then by their own <laughs> bylaws were no longer allowed to have clubhouses here. Oh my they god! They didn't have the membership. <laughs> clever, uh, very clever. I, I so can't believe good. that. I can't believe that they're actually yeah. like rules cocks like that. That that there was so they were, the police were were wreckers. They did it. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the uh, so from about 2003 until quite recently, there was no officially no real Hell's Angels presence here. Um, there's a number of sort of proxy yeah. uh, law biker gangs that. You know, mm. weren't weren't full patch angels, but I think we're sort of doing the a lot of the same Bidding. stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. From what I gather, there was like a series of them. I think I think at one point they had like eight different clubs that were essentially like yeah. front groups for Hell's um, Angels or whatever. It's the old Trotskyite <laughs> um, sort of tactic of just creating these these. Well, not just Trotsky, but mass Trotsky also um, imprisoned in Nova Scotia once, not far from where this happened. Mm. Yeah, side really? note, sidebar. Uh, well, yeah, so the so the, the angels are definitely back though. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Like I've been seeing them probably the last three years, just like around a lot more again. Oh, oh, oh yeah, on, no, like, you see you them like drive. I see them fucking all. drive down my street all the time. Um, like they're back, um, and I, I think like the uh, that coincides with the RCMP's sort of re uh, re upping the effort to drive them out of the province again. Um, mm. Mm-hmm. I know. I re- I read an article from just last December about how they're butting heads with a group called the Black yeah. Pistons, who appear to sort of be a front group for the Outlaws, um, which are like another old old biker gang. Um, or I don't even actually think that they're that. I'm not as super into to biker stuff. I'm not as knowledgeable as I should be, even though I did used to hang around the Hell's Angels Clubhouse here in San Francisco, although it was very. Um, was not the most exciting thing in the world. Uh, but um, apparently there's been some beef with them. And a little backstory on this, there was actually like a decades-long biker war in Quebec that killed over like 100 yeah. people. And this ended in like the early 2000s. It went on from, I think, the early 90s to the, to the, to the, to the early mid-2000s, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I That's mean, the, the hell is like, I mean... Make no mistake with the Hell's Angels are bad. <laughs> are, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I really think Americans like don't know very much about this, to be honest. Like even like the suburb where I grew up, like there was a Hell's Angels hit around the corner from my house when I was a kid. Like that was like a really big thing where like a man was just shot in his driveway in in the suburb one night and mm-hmm. it was like a hell an angels hit. Like that's like uh, a thing here. And a lot of the even through the like the eighties and nineties, a lot of a lot of pretty much all crime that happens is just like attributable to them or people who they hire. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also saw that, like you sent along that article earlier, there was another murder in Porta Peak a while ago that seems to be connected also uh, to. Yeah. To our so this, uh, this was a, uh, a disappearance that happened in 2000 uh, of a man named Charles Madison, who also lived in Porta Peak. Um, Small town, big, uh, yeah. big, um, big presence. And so there was a, there was also at the same time a, an outlaw biker named Randy Merceau, uh, mm-hmm. who, who had been murdered, um, allegedly by a man from Windsor named Michael John Lawrence, who allegedly was a hell's angel. So there's, that's like, I gotta say for such a small town, like that's some, connections to some that's it, like, big organized that's it, like, crime. That's like at least 3% there. of the population. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and that's doing good for the Hells Angels. Notoriously yeah. call themselves one percenters. Um, but uh, that's... Uh, I, I, so, so, so from what I gathered from reading, you know, succession of articles about this is that at times cartels sort of cohabitate and sometimes even cooperate with the hell's angels in terms of drug smuggling and then distribution. Yeah. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah. 
and and so that 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 got me to put my my thinking cap on here. And so why are we why are we bringing up the Hell's Angels? So to to go back to the the money, uh, the money from March, um, mm-hmm. the one of the sort of the big uh, assertion made in these McLean's articles from last week is that uh, Wartman's withdrawal of that much money uh, from from the CIBC Intria account, which is a specific kind of account that is used for RCMP uh, drops, um, uh-huh. indicates that he was a at very least a criminal informant, um, if not like a sort of active undercover agent for the RCMP. So um, wait, can you explain a, a little bit about the bank account? You said it was it's used exclusively for RCMP drops? Not exclusively. Uh, like it, It's just like this. It's, so these Intria depots, um, I had a friend who worked at one in high school as an intern, and it's just like mm. you go to a door where you're not allowed in, and uh, you like knock on it and you mm-hmm. hand them the thing and then they count your money and they give it to you in a bag. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and, and so the thing they point out yeah. in this McLean's articles is these spots are what they're not exclusively used by the RCMP, but they are what the RCMP use to hand cash off to informants. Cause they don't just keep sure. Cash. They Makes don't keep sense. a half a million dollars at the station. Um, and like specifically like that amount of money would be for some sort of buy. Um, yeah, they said in the article, and and this this sort of rings true to me is that 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 sort of money would be used for yeah. to flash for a buy. So like, from what I gather, like you know, you go and you're like, hey, I want to buy you know some some uh, yellow cake, and uh, you know you you go and you got you know yellow cake uranium, uh, and you go and you have the fucking bag, and you're like, I got the money, check it out, four hundred and seventy five thousand dollars, count it, they're counting yeah. it, bam, RCMP come in, they're like. Um, sorry to arrest <laughs> you, sir. I'm just kidding. I, I no disrespect. Um, so, so that that this big cash, uh, big movement of cash happens, um, and then about a month before this happens, too, there uh, is a a night back in February, uh, early evening, when Wartman is pulled over, uh, just sort of on a rural route by an RCMP officer mm-hmm. at six o'clock in the evening for speeding. Um. Which is apparently the the way the the common way that the RCMP hand information off to informants is to sort of indicate them to indicate to that indicate to them to be at a certain spot at a certain time, and we'll you know trump up uh, some sort of traffic violation and pull you over, and we'll pass we'll pass stuff through the window, um, and this this yeah that makes this, a lot of sense uh, to me. This specific ticket uh, within like two days of this happening, uh, there are a number of uh, high-profile Hell's Angels arrests in Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, so it seems very um, possible, likely, somewhere in between possible and likely, that uh, the the <laughs> uh was a, like an actual informant for the cops on the Hell's Angels. Who were in cahoots, in a, and I wanted that to sound Canadian when I say it, uh, with the drug cartels and smuggling in, you know, guns, drugs, cigarettes, whatever else, yeah. into Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And so, if that were to be the case, wouldn't this lead, uh, you know, inquiring minds such as our own and others out there, little gumshoes? 
to ask, well, wait a second, is there any relationship between the reason or like perhaps where the Mountie is not responding to or like to anything having to do with the shooting because this guy was an informant and working for them. Yeah. Um, and that was, I sort of had alluded earlier to, uh, to the RCMP not having to legally disclose mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. So uh, if there's, there's laws in Canada, they don't have, unless a court specifically orders them to, they don't have to say who they're in. They, I mean, which makes sense. You wouldn't just blab about it. Yeah. See, in, in America, in fact, if you ask if someone's yeah. a cop, they do have uh, to tell you. I don't think that that's true. That is not true. Either. That is not true. That is one of the dumbest fucking... Like, why would you just ask anyone? You just ask life. everyone. Yeah. Exactly. And, like, I've had guys ask me while buying drugs, are, are you a cop? And I've always, of course, said no. What, what, then I'm like, <laughs> what would you do if I said yes? Like why? Under what circumstances? Like, would I say yes if I was? Fuck! They got me. Fuck! Um, So that that exactly. Even among people who make it a living uh, to to sell illegal substances, they themselves don't know the rules and regulations around such uh, such endeavors. Uh, Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) What was I saying? saying? So so basically, yeah. This all more or less points to uh, the. Like it becomes obvious that over the last ten years, as as a number of different sort of civil complaints about Wartman's mm. behavior in town, uh, you know, brought up by his his neighbors, up to and including his own father, who filed a complaint uh, to the RCMP about him, right. all of which were ignored. Mm-hmm. Uh, all, and they've sort of said now, when people have brought it up again, they're like, "Oh, we don't we don't have any information on those complaints anymore because unless there's a criminal charge, we don't." we don't mm. keep track of those things after the fact. We just like, we get rid of those mm. records. Um, so they've sort of begun the process of, of denying, uh, knowing him, <laughs> I guess already. Yeah. They, they, they've said several times, like there's absolutely, and even in, in pushback to the, to the McLean's article, like, or McLean's article, articles, they've said like, this is totally ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we they do not know this guy, but if the law says they don't to. have to say it, um, I mean, they put exactly. out a press release uh, on Sunday after the McLean's article hit, saying that they believe he took out that money because he was paranoid about. Uh, oh come the on! Sorry, I took out I took out <laughs> yeah. five hundred dollars yeah. because I was paranoid about COVID. For I mean, I, what I don't understand is is how does this guy have four hundred seventy five thousand dollars to begin with? I mean, I get it, dentures, you know, not cheap. But that seems like quite a lot of cash to have specifically. And from what I understand, I mean, Brinks isn't a bank. Brinks is who brings the money. That's why it's called Brinks, because they brings the money to you. Uh, and so it's like, it doesn't like the, it, like it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like the teller, I mean, it, granted, like, you know, if you take money at a bank, you know, Brinks, Brinks will send a guy and, you know, if you're taking out a lot of money, bank doesn't have that money, they'll send someone to bring that money. But like, you know, from from what I understand, is 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 the opposite direction is not true. Like the bank doesn't. No, say like he did the yeah, he yeah, did yeah. the pickup. Um, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't. No, no. I mean, no part of this. The only thing that makes any of this make sense, like, is if you accept, if you begin at the premise, the premise that he right. was an RCMP informant. Like that is that is the only thing that like exactly. uh, that's lessens the madness. Like that <laughs> that's the that is the the like the thing that makes everything else sort of connect. Yeah, totally. And it's, 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 
it does sort of leave unanswered the question though of why the shooting. Yeah. Um right? so I think like, they uh, I think they sort of allude to in the in one of the McLean's articles is that it's possible his cover was blown. Um mm-hmm. which I, I imagine would like probably put you under quite a bit of stress if you thought maybe, you know, yes. some some like yeah, some mix of the Hells Angels and a Mexican drug cartel uh, knew you ratted on them. I think you'd maybe, uh, yeah, maybe flip your wig. Um, yeah, I, I think that would probably. Uh, but it also like I mean it, it's it is worth noting like there are he does have a history of violence, uh, of like of escalating violence and of of sort of like people complaining about just him like being like kind of a shithead. Um, like it does sound from some of the stuff of the party like that the fight with his girlfriend started as like. You know, it was like a, a domestic dispute, um, and there's there's been a lot of yeah. a lot of sort of work advocacy here by uh, like sort of feminist groups to like recognize this as like specifically a you know like a, a male violence thing um, against women, mm. which it's like obviously it can be both. <laughs> like I don't think this is just one thing. Yeah, um, yeah. From what I understand, this guy did, was not the kindest no, of men uh, like, to women. By all accounts, like an awful person, uh, which is the kind of person who yeah. ends up being, you know, both a uh, a, a a rat and a rat. yeah, just a rat. Like you're the you're the kind of person that gets picked by the RCMP to to do this stuff, and that was like yeah. that's how it was in the 2000s. Like they they're like famous for using informants to to sort of do work against the the, the clubs. Yeah. I was actually just reading about uh, in Seattle, I believe police used a uh, convicted pedophile to infiltrate uh, like uh, environmentalist groups earlier in the 2000s. He'd blend right in. And yeah. So, <laughs> you know, they, yeah. 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 Oh. Um, but they, 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 they tend to pick some, um, you know, it's, it's the uh, upstanding yeah. person. Yeah. People don't. That guy started uh, Extinction Rebellion. <laughs> I mean, one thing I would encourage people as, cause we kind of have to wrap up this story pretty soon, but one thing I yeah. would encourage people is that like, you know, if they're interested in this case or, you know, if you're angry about this case, I mean, reading about it, it's, it's like, you know, kind of like peeling back onion layers kind of, you know, or it's like this insane rampage. And then you're like, wait, the cartels are involved. Wait, the hell's angels are involved. Wait, the cops are involved. Like, it's this like, you know, starts to feel very like twins. Twin Peaks ish, as as is our style. Twin Porta Peaks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it. That's what's up. But um, I mean, one thing that really makes me angry is like, I mean, what the fuck were the cops doing? Like, this was like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, and again, this has to be like reiterated over and over again. This was like nearly, you know, over twelve hours of a guy going on a rampage with the cops not doing anything they were supposed to. And in, in this instance, like shooting up innocent people in they a safe house. They actually made it worse. Yeah, yeah, they made it worse. And was it because of a bad relationship they had with an informant or what? Like where's the oversight here and what's going on? And like that yeah. to me is like a bigger story than the kind of insanity you can get into trying to sort of make shape of a, a kind of wild you know, cartel yeah. mob hit shebang. My, my sort of read on it is that it's both. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and like, I, I can't imagine that like the cops in fucking Truro had any idea how to respond totally. to like a mass shooting. And the other thing that's worth pointing out is it's not the Nova Scotia RCMP that deal with 
organized crime. Right. Oh, okay. Like that is done uh, out of New Brunswick. Sure. So, mm-hmm. so like these specific cops responding to this thing likely would have, you know what I mean? Like they, it seems unlikely that they would have that relationship with him. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that the New Brunswick RCMP would, unless it came from higher, just like, whoa, like what the fuck do we do? Um, Cause he was identified as a suspect like pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, Even though his house was on fire, I know that they were like, oh, I think it's this guy. Yeah. Um, and notably so, he didn't kill Peter Griffin. Right. Like, no, he's just like, cause he's still like, I, there's one of the articles they like try to reach out to him. Like they find his, like his Facebook was still up, I think until these McLean's articles came out. <laughs> um, I mean like Wartman's Facebook was still up the morning this was going on. Like friends of mine were pulling pictures. I have some stuff I can send you like, uh, like Kijiji, Kijiji ads of his, he had posted, oh my um, God. trying to sell motorcycles. <laughs> so, yes. so what is, so. Yeah, my, my my read on it is is basically similar to that. Like he's an informant whose whose cover maybe got blown or something, likely something to do with his work. Uh, and I don't mean his work with dentures is related to his reasons for for engaging in in this massacre. Um, but it is interesting, like that that this response was so bungled, and now they're so tight lipped about it that it's. You know, I I I, I want to know what the hell's going on. It's really frustrating, and I like I know people who know people who were yeah. killed because uh, it's a it's a small it's a very small part of the world, and like people are really upset. And uh, like me, I had a fear when this happened because because a, a police officer was killed. I was like, oh fuck, we're not going to be able to be like critical of the cops in this province for, for like yeah. a fucking year yeah. now because a cop got killed. And then it was just like, absolutely not. The yeah. case. Good, good. <laughs> like, I know uh, there's like a class action uh, suit being leveled against the police that like against the police. Yeah. I mean, there's like, like, I don't think it's like some sort of gladio style operation. Like, either. I don't think it's like that Mm-mm. complicated. I think it's just like, I legit think the RCMP are just dumb as fuck. Like, yeah. I think they just, they fucked like, I think they fucked him both by blowing his cover and then they like they fucked up the situation by not really knowing how to respond to it. Yeah, I will say like the only real evidence or like the only sort of arguments that could be made in favor of a Gladio thing are like the fact that it happened, I guess, at all. But the details kind of don't make that as I think as clear. And then that they banned like so many kinds of guns that they actually banned uh several like BB guns as well. Uh, in the media aftermath, but like, I can't imagine there would have been a ton of pushback about banning guns in the first place. I don't think Canada has a super, uh, you know, robust gun culture, as far as I know. Uh, people I know that own guns were like not stoked that they, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they banned a shit ton of guns, and and yeah. of course, like, these guys' guns were all illegal, anyways. It doesn't so matter anyway, exactly. Yeah. Like, he, um, the one guy who like didn't need to buy a gun at a gun shop is the reason that yeah. they're all banned. I mean, yeah, the, like the RCMP response has been awful. And like, I mean, they even last week returned a car to one of the victim's families uh, that still had body parts in what? the car. What? Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the RCMP returned a car, uh, one of the victim's cars to their family. And I don't even understand like how body parts would have yeah, ended up in the car. Yeah, how does that happen? Be, like, uh, and like that part of it's like, like when that happened, they were like, oh, we fucked up. Sorry, we didn't like clean it well enough. Uh, so I think like, yeah. I can't imagine just like some, yeah, it's, 
<laughs> it's a really frustrating. It's an incredibly yeah. frustrating yeah. story. Uh, oh, Canada! And I think we'll never. I think we'll never know what happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, come on, you figure it out. We'll figure. Yeah, yeah. but like they're never going to. They're disclose never going to say. Yeah. 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 Or like yeah. we'll learn in like forty years or something. Yeah. 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 It'll be a book. Yeah. yeah. When when Trudeau's uh, <sighs> great grandchildren are president of both America and Canada. Oh, God willing. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. You guys, you assholes out there can follow Andrew at Andrew Neville. That's my name. Uh, those are <laughs> Andrew spelled Andrew, Neville spelled Neville mm-hmm. uh, at Twitter. I mean, people, you know, figure you, you never know how to spell that shit. Uh, and listen to Dog Island. Andrew, thank you so thank, much. Thank my you man. all. Thank, thank you, you all so much. Yeah. So after we uh, finished that, I just want to add something because we were talking after we ended the interview and I think that kind of like put it explicitly in a way that maybe we should for everyone. Like the thing that's so crazy about this is that the cops, like (laughs) the Canadian police basically had this guy and like groomed him to basically do this shooting in not so many ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like Absolutely. so gruesome to get your head around. Um and and it's really uh unfortunate that I mean, you know, look, everyone knows that just that true and don't have anything good to say about the American press, um, and actually have very bad things to say about the American press. But like it's really insane that this this story is getting absolutely no coverage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just one. Literally, like, if this, if this team of journalists, or as he mentioned, like another Nova Scotian journalist, hadn't been looking into it, like we wouldn't know this, and we would just see. I mean, I read a lot of articles about this case in the past, like uh, four or five days, and a lot of them, I mean, really just regurgitations of of, of press releases. And yeah. I, and like, to be clear, that's how like a lot of journalism works in a lot of different contexts too, not just like in in police, um, but you know, really. You know, good good on you, uh, famous Canadian phrase to yeah. to, to McLean's. Yeah, we'll link to those articles because they're yeah, they're a really interesting read. And and it just reminds me, we were actually going to do, we were going to talk about this more, but we we sort of just there was so much to the Canada thing that we didn't. But but it is notable that you know this sort of recent shootings in the Bay Area and Santa Cruz, um, mm. you know the 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 Boogaloo shootings or whatever, were also done by like a a a someone who's connected to the government, you know, a guy mm. who had been in the Air Force on ground teams, um, and uh, it, it, you know, I found this astounding. He actually, so it was done by two people, and this guy, his accomplice, he literally met him hours before the sh- first shooting. Uh, they they shot a couple of DHS police in Oakland during the protests and then they shot a couple of um couple of cops down in Santa Cruz uh, I think two or three um and I found that was 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 pretty pretty outstanding too and then of course you know we have the Sarnia brothers and we have you know Paddock um there's just it's you know it's a big government but seems to be a lot of people who do these shootings that are pretty pretty connected to it you know, yeah. there's those shootings in that shooting in the the the, the airbase, I think, in Florida too, by the uh, by the Saudi Arabian attached to, uh, right. to do to do training here. My eyes are open, baby. 
I'd be remiss if I didn't mention way back in the day, you know, friend and, you know, we'll say a problematic friend of the pod, Ted Kaczynski, also had his mm-hmm. connections with the U.S. government. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and we should maybe, I think it would behoove us to at some point really kind of go through these um, as a group, but also we are, I want to do, yeah. There's a lot of these that deserve a little bit more scrutiny. Yeah, agree. Um, especially the to Sarnev uh, affair. Um, another Joker. But uh, anyways, I uh, yeah, this was I'm I'm juiced about this. We finally headed up north. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Mm-hmm. I was gonna. I was beginning to moose it. Oh my god! Sorry, my bad. I just I won't do that again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I do uh, a good impression of a moose. You do? Well, it's visual. It's not audio, so I won't do it. Can you? Do, I'll just talk, so there's no dead air. Can you do it? I'm talking right now. I'm describing it. Oh, she's she's holding her hands in a way. Oh, this is pretty good. Yeah, I can imagine it right now. My God, from the profile too. Fantastic. Oh my God, look at this. She knows everything. All right, uh, that is for. Um, well, that's not for subscribers. That's for that's for team members only. By the way, I'm going to start calling us team members. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> All right, team meeting, guys. Uh, good th- good thing getting through it. Uh, next week we are having the author of White Fragility here to talk to us um, about Waco. <laughs> yeah, can't wait to circle back and 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 talk then. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, I'm Liz. My name is Brace. We're joined by producer Young Chomsky. And that's true and on. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey